This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, in caverns deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 712 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your head number one, and my name is Matt Baum. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick, but when I'm working, I'm your head number two. In this episode, we're reviewing new comics from the most recent two new comic book Wednesdays. After that, we'll tell you listeners about our must-read new comic picks for next week. Finally, we're going to give you a sampling of our Patreon extra. Conan the Barbarian recently told Marvel to kick rocks, and he moved overseas to Titan Comics. So we brought in the one man qualified to review Titan's new Conan book, Mr. Jared Savitas, a.k.a. Wooly Toots, for his Swords and Scrolls segment. So get ready to crush your enemies and see them driven before you, because it all starts now with review time in the Ziggurat! As always, we begin by discussing six comics from last week, and then we'll jump to six from this week. Each funny book we discuss will be forever branded with our knee-jerk, buy it, skim it, or leave it ratings, whether they like it or not. This time, our new comics pile features Ritual Child Murder, Ritual Adult and Child Murder, Shadow Cat with a K murdering people, but it all starts with the unmurdering of Bobby Drake. A lot of murder. <laughs> We begin with Astonishing Iceman, number one from Marvel. It's 32 pages. It is $3.99. This is written by Steve Orlando with art by Vincenzo Caratu, colors by Java Tartiglia, and letters by VCs Travis Landman. Here is your solicit. The Omega-level mutant as you've never seen him before! After the events of this year's Can't Miss Hellfire Gala, Bobby Drake, a.k.a. Iceman, sets his sights on heroic deeds like never before. But... As a new situation develops that links Iceman to his Antarctic ice palace, he'll have to be slicker than ever to accomplish his mission before Orcus knows what hit them. An all-new adventure that'll push Iceman to the limits of his powers, dot, 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 and beyond. Okay, you're just supposed to get louder, not faster, when the caps are there. I, I kind of like it, a little bit of both. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> Last new review show, we freaked out about Iceman's death during the Hellfire Gala mutant massacre, but he's feeling much better here, and Steve Orlando gives readers a good enough reason why. I just didn't know that Romeo, who is Iceman's boyfriend, was an inhuman. <laughs> Did I miss that somewhere, or I'm not sure? I mean, I, I, I'm not familiar with the character if he's even appeared before, so yeah. I have no idea. Lay it on us. Didn't know. I do like the new setup, though, and Iceman's current new mission status and connection to his ice palace is pretty cool. I mean, he's like an Omega-level mutant, so you've got to limit that somehow, and I like that there's rules. He goes out for a while, he's got to go back, you know? The book opens with a prototype nanotech sentinel attack that turns, like, any technology into living anti-mutant killing robots. And even with Orcus's advanced tech, that seemed like a little much to me, you know, like almost too easy. Karatu's art is great though. And I really like the redesign of Iceman's look, incorporating some X's in his design, effectively giving him a costume for the first time, I think. 
I mean, he did wear the pants outside of the ice for a little while, which is kind of no, weird. No, he's, he's, he's had a costume. It's just that you couldn't always see it when he was iced up. I mean, sure. I mean, something, okay. I guess I mean a costume that no, you No, I know see. what you mean. Like his ice form looks yeah. like it's wearing. Yeah. The art does. Yeah. Good. As opposed to when it looked like he was just wearing trunks and yeah. pirate boots. Which is weird. The art does a really good job, though, showing how powerful this Iceman is. And I was thrilled to see the ice golems back. I really like that power. <laughs> Aside from the over-the-top nanotech sentinel BS, Astonishing Iceman sets up Bobby's new status quo really well. The art is slick as hell. Although if he is dating Romeo, Romeo might want to have a talk with him after his first outing. No spoilers. Hey, but I'm giving it a buy it. It's, it's, the, it's 2023. There are people, people have relationships Maybe like that. That's how they Sometimes, do. I don't know. Like, <laughs> you know, no judgment. But so, uh, I mean, I kid, I honestly have no idea about their relationship, but yes, uh, in defense of the nano sentinels, this isn't really the first time this has happened. Like Cassandra Nova had sentinels that built themselves out of like wild junk and stuff. Yeah, so I mean, that's true. I but- mean, it's. At least they built themselves. This was more like, I throw this on your microwave and your microwave turns into a, well, a I mean, killing whatever. machine. They say it's a prototype. They already have a space station that orbits the freaking sun. I yeah. mean, come on. I mean, they've got a Nimrod that can kill the juggernaut. So it, you know. yeah, right. So yeah, I mean, whatever. Um, I do also love Iceman's current look. He's been sporting that for a little while now. Yeah. And I think it's super cool. I did... I did appreciate the nod to the pirate boots in this issue. It's cute. Um, the new status quo is very cool. And we all knew that something was going to happen because they announced this book before he was m- murdered yeah. <laughs> in the Hellfire Gala. So um, I think it's a cool twist. And yeah, I enjoyed this a whole lot. The art. Where did this guy come from? I have no I've idea. I've never heard of this guy before. I know. I kept looking at the Vincenzo name. Vincenzo like, Karatu? I've never heard of him. And I this thought, like, oh, I know that fantastic. guy. Fantastic. This art was good. Yeah. He's real. This was a good looking comic. Well done, everybody. It's a buy it. I liked it quite a bit. So, we meet again, Iceman. Your uncle's the one I want to fight. Why? Because he is old? Matt, if there's one thing Todd Phillips' 2019 film, The Joker, taught me, it's that we live in a society, a justice society of America. Was, Number five. That was a stinker. <laughs> hey, you know what? Wow. They can't all be winners. No. They can't all be winners. No, they cannot. It's from DC Comics. It's written by Jeff Johns with art by Michael Jannon and Jerry Ordway. Colors by Jordi Belair and John Kalish. Letters by Rob Lee or Lay. 32 pages for $3.99. And here is your solicit. Huntress's journey through time comes to a head as the person chasing her through the timeline has finally caught up to her. Is this the end of the line for Helena Wayne? I feel like the JSA have been returning for about three years now, but the grand finale of their newly relaunched ongoing series is finally here. The Justice Society of yesterday, today, and tomorrow stand united against an almost overwhelming army made of versions of Per Degaton from various points in his own personal timeline. It's a very satisfying conclusion that answers a lot of questions while setting up others, and it finally gets the title in place to join the Dawn of DC. And not a moment too soon, because as much as I have enjoyed this first arc, the series has seemed kind of bleak up to this point. But But writing this team is second nature for Jeff Johns, and it definitely shows... The art by Janin and Ordway is excellent as usual. 
And Ordway takes it one step farther by including a scene that features the original Legion of Superheroes. Are they all getting slaughtered in the scene? Yeah, sure. Big time. Does it mean does it mean anything at all in the long run? Nah. I probably I, I, I kind of doubt it, but I'll take what I can get. Justice Society of America number five serves as a strong finish to a kind of dour first arc. If the final page is any indicator, I'm looking forward to the next arc to steer things in a brighter direction. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I agree. This started, I'm not going to say it started rough. Like it was good, but it was really not rough. rough. It's just dark. Yeah, it's very it was dark. dark. Now, now let's keep in mind, like the old JSA run had some really dark moments too. Uh, the JSA had dark moments, but it wasn't a dark book. No, it and wasn't. This book has been dark, like since the beginning. I will say he always balanced the light with the dark and he understood the darker, sure. the brighter they can shine as heroes and whatnot. And that's what he's doing here. I'm glad that we've gently gotten away from the Watchmen stuff and we're just doing JSA stuff. It is God willing. <laughs> still kind of there. Maybe he left it open, but this is the justice league. Pardon me. This is the justice society that I want to read and I'm digging it. it. It got me finally. I think it was about issue three. I started rolling with it and going, okay, I'm having fun. Now I'm having yeah. fun again. I see him working. I really like this art. I love that we're introducing like younger heroes and whatnot again. And they're doing the whole family book. The last page is a great reveal. Like, I don't want to spoil the last page. Like we all don't knew, we all don't knew that the, we all knew that the sidekicks were coming back sure. from like star girl and the whatever, but um, a character returns on the last page that uh, I am was giddy, giddy to see. Yeah. It seems like John's going to have fun with this one. Let's just leave Dr. Manhattan out of it. I'm giving it a buy it. It's too late. Always has been. Always will be. Too late. Enough of your petty superheroes, Joe Patrick. It's time to go back to the world of magic and sword and sorcery. We're talking about Fire and Ice. Number one from Boom. It's 32 pages, $3.99, written by Bill Willingham, cover by Bill Sankevich, with art by Leonardo Manco, and letters by Taylor Esposito. Here's your solicit. A fantasy classic returns to life with an all-new prequel series! More than four decades ago, two iconic creators came together to bring to the silver screen an amazing new world of magic and adventure. In their classic animated film, Fire and Ice, legendary artist Frank Frazetta and famed director Ralph Bakshi crafted a unique vision of beauty and danger, of good versus evil, all cast against a hypnotic backdrop of savage prehistoric splendor. Now, at long last, the timeless vision is expanding into comics with the first new story to revisit Frazetta and Bakshi's remarkable realm since 1982. There's got to be a faster way to say all this, right? I think I think you can say, uh, you know, two legendary creators united. Neither of them are here right now. Right. Remember Fire and Ice, you guys? It was but anyway, Fire and Ice number one. <laughs> before the fire waned and the ice spread across the world, before Tigra met Larn, before everything you know about the unforgettable animated movie came to be. There were the before times. That makes sense. Times when evil might still be blunted. Times when innocence was not yet lost. In Fire and Ice number one, acclaimed comics writer Bill Willingham, who worked on Fables and Legendary. I don't, not sure what that is. His own creator, own thing, I think came out from Dynamite. Oh, okay. 
joins forces with artist Leonardo Manco, who worked on Hellstrom, Prince of Lies, and Blaze of, Go- and Blaze of Glory, making his triumphant return to comics, and a new legend is about to be born! I'm not Wait sure. a minute. Who's making out of all that? the cre- out of all the credits Leonardo Manco has to offer, Blaze of Glory is the one they include. And is he really returning? Like, is this has he been gone for a real long time? So I mean, I don't know. I couldn't tell you, is the point. Fair so. enough. I can remember seeing Fire and Ice as a kid and being blown away by the adult-themed fantasies, violence, and of course, Frazetta's badass barbarian with the fur mask and axe. Willingham and Manko capture the look and feel of the original film perfectly, complete with the buxom ladies running through the jungle in thongs and brutal violence. It's Manko's art that really shines here, though. You can tell he is a student of Frazetta's fantasy, and every page is exploding with sex, violence, and amazing detail. Even his backgrounds feature Frazetta's wispy black vines and overgrowth. This looks so good. Willingham's script doesn't beat the reader over the head with lore, but instead introduces just enough that new readers who don't know anything about this world will be fine. While Fire and Ice is a pretty dated fantasy that would be at home, airbrushed on any early 80s conversion van, this creative team does an excellent job bringing the look and feel of Bakshi and Forzetta's cult classic to comics. I'm giving it a buy it! Yeah, I have nothing to add, really. I... I've never seen Fire and Ice. I'm certainly aware of it. Like, I know of it. Um, I've seen the box art and the posters, right? So I know about the dude in the fuzzy half mask with the ears on it. Like, I get it. But beyond that, I got nothing. But I thought this was pretty fun. And the art, holy cow. Like, the art almost sells it by itself. It's yeah. so, so gorgeous. Manco. This is a buy it. Man, that guy. Damn. Yeah, this is a buy it for me. Fire and Ice, from the visual imagination of Ralph Bakshi and the dazzling artistry of Frank Frazetta, a fantasy adventure from 20th Century Fox. The next stop on our murder-sacrifice tour of comic books this week is a bit vague. It leaves it a bit up in the air. Yeah, I don't know if these kids are getting murdered or sacrificed. uh, Yeah, you know, fingers crossed. It's The Sacrificers, number one, from Image Comics. It's written by Rick Remender, with art by Max Fiumara, colors by Dave McCaig, design by Erica Schnatz. Now, it doesn't say anything about letters, so I don't know if Erica Schnatz did it or if Max Fiumara did his own lettering. Who's to say? It's 40 pages for $3.99, and here's your solicit. Series premiere! Thanks, Image. Tomorrow is a harmonious paradise, thanks to five families who make everything perfect. For the price of one child per household. Now, as that bill comes due, a son expected to give everything for a family that never loved him and an affluent daughter determined to destroy Utopia must unite to end one generation's unnaturally protracted reign. New York Times bestselling writer Rick Remender from Low, Deadly Class, and Uncanny X-Force joins forces with superstar Max Fiumara from Amazing Spider-Man, Four Eyes, and Lucifer to take you through the dark science fiction world of The Sacrificers. Rick Remender has proven himself to be a master of high-concept sci-fi fantasy comics time and time again, and it looks like history is repeating itself with The Sacrificers. This issue takes its time establishing our lead characters, children of two worlds who lead very different lives, Sol Luna is the product of a union between the rulers of the Sun and Moon Kingdoms. 
two of the aforementioned five families that guide this supposed paradise. She's a willful and entitled girl with a thirst for knowledge and experience. The unnamed boy is part of a family of agrarian bird creatures. He's abused and neglected, and all he wants is to feel the love of the family that shuns him. But is their cruel act just a way to create emotional distance from him? as it's inevitably revealed that he's that family's sacrificer? Remender doesn't do any hand-holding at all, a practice that he explains in the essay that closes the issue. Spoiler alert, he's a big David Lynch fan. <laughs> Instead, he lets Max Fiumara and Dave McCaig's gorgeous art paint a picture of this world as the story unfolds. The Sacrificers, number one, is an incredible first issue that gives you just enough to come back yearning for more. I'm giving this a huge buy it. It was incredible. Yeah, it really was. This gave me like a dark crystal kind of vibe, but yeah, without the whole in a time when blah, 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 you know, like is if they just let the dark crystal unfold and you watched it, right? Because right. You, there was an edit somewhere where they didn't have the narrator and all the screen and all the writing. Sure, stuff. right. No, but God, Damn, Max Fiumara. The design on these characters is incredible. The bird people alone. Like, you could see emotion on the you know, bird people's faces and stuff. It was incredible. I, uh, just, like, something I didn't actually write in the review, but I wanted to mention is that the book is so familiar to, like, human beings because it's got a lot of the same uh, touchstones, like farmhouse and animals. Sure. But... If you look closely enough, everything's just different enough. Like the chickens on the ground outside have beaks that open and close yeah. sideways like lobster claws. Yeah, that's where I was getting like and, the dark crystal. It's very Jim yeah, Henson. Like. And so, yeah, it's like a familiar world, but very alien at the same time. It's yeah. very cool. It's monstrous, but still very familial. And, and yeah. man, the book is just gorgeous. I'm giving it a huge buy it. I don't know where Rick, Rick Remender comes up with this stuff, but somebody... Man, get this guy, get this guy in with a major animation house and let's see some beautiful animated Rick Remender movies. Okay, you guys, this guy's incredible. <laughs> Buy I, it. Like, where, where is my low movie or, you know, seriously? Yeah. I, I mean, we got deadly, we got a year worth of deadly class and that's it. Come on, Hollywood. Another world, another time in the age of wonder. Time to talk about Joe Patrick's favorite witch in the pages of Sandman Universe special, Thessaly, number one from DC Black Label. I fucking hate Thessaly, it's Matt. 40, hate her. You know this. It's 40 pages. It's $4.99. This is written by James Tiny and the Four with cover by Rico Murakami, art by Maria Lovett, and letters by Simon Boland. Here is your solicit. The immortal witch Thessaly is no stranger to dead ends, but she's won the hearts of gods and beings more powerful than gods, and persistence has always been her strong suit. Following her scheming machinations in Nightmare Country and Dead Boy Detectives, Thessaly is more determined than ever to suss out the seemingly impenetrable mystery surrounding the death of Madison Flynn. To do that, she's going to have to get close to the source material close enough to magic herself into the job of screenwriter on Madison Flynn's biopic, but she's going to need a little help to keep the gig 
Perhaps from one of those muses, the King of Dreams told her about long ago. The Sandman Universe special Thessaly reunites Nightmare Country visionary James Tinian the Four with star faithless artist Maria Lovett to take you on a journey through the festering darkness pulsating beneath Hollywood's glitz and glamour. Sort of, kind of. I mean, you know, <laughs> it wasn't very glitzy. Like her or hater, Thessaly is one of the most complex and interesting characters in the Sandman universe. So I was really looking forward to this one shot, shedding some light on her new mission, status quo, yada, 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 in the continued Sandman U. Instead, Tinian decides to sort of bury Thessaly's story in a side character that's having relationship issues and trouble getting a treatment for a script from a writer. It's clever, but it feels like they buried the lead here. The art is not bad, but it is not great either. Lovett has a very stripped down style. I understand why some people like it. It is not for me. It's very light on backgrounds, but for some reason, she chose to sign 28 panels in the book. Now, signing a panel, it's a thing that artists do when they really pour their hearts into a splash page. And you know what? Sign whenever you want. That is your business. But these were just story panels. Most didn't even have anything interesting going on. And it took me out of the story so violently. It's very silly. I was, I was pasting all these pictures on our discord going, what is going on? When you pair that with the text pieces that told a story that I wished I was reading in comic format, I'm finding it really hard to give this comic any more than a leave it. Talk me out of it, Joe Patrick. Right now, I'm giving this a leave it. Uh, you know what? I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm giving it a skim it. And look, I've read Sandman front to back. I've read most of the spinoffs, the minis, the tie-ins, what have you. I'm not up to date on the Sandman universe, I, I will admit. But since I first read Sandman in the early 2000s, I have hated Thessaly. I know you I have. just hate. I know you have. I hate that character. But I, I actually kind of liked the way they incorporated, you know, they've been tell, clearly they've been telling her story in an ongoing manner in the pages of sure. the other CMA universe books. Sure. And so I think it's kind of fun to see this kind of like off ramp or on ramp. I don't know this, this kind of on ramp to the next thing, to the next chapter uh, in in a special and also introducing a new character that now has this arcane power and knowledge, whatever. I, I thought it was kind of interesting story-wise. I'm not a huge fan of Maria Lovett. I'm just not. It's my own personal cup of tea. It's or rather not my cup of tea. Um, the signing of the panels is so weird. It's, it's so weird. And she doesn't do that in Faithless. I looked. Doesn't do it there. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, you know, and I, I feel like I should get a little asterisk editor's note credit for giving you that little bit of knowledge, but there's nothing about the panels in this comic that a comic creator would go, man, I really crushed that right. one sign. Like, I don't know. It's not bad. It's just weird. I'm giving it a skim it. It just felt to me like there's two things that really happened in this book and they happened in four pages. The rest of it, a lot of stuff I didn't need. I mean, it's a skim it. Oh, and I'll confess, I skipped the text pages. The I text skipped pages them. Were I'm pretty, sorry. The I, text pages were pretty good. I'm sure they were. I just, uh, like, I was already hate reading the comic, and I was like, I'm not doing it, Tanyan. Forget it. 
but I ended up enjoying the comic. Oh, you know what? I'm wrong. I'm looking at Faithless number one, and she has signed a bunch of these panels too. But the signature is way smaller, tiny. It's not it, like that big it, circle. Like she put a badge on those panels. Yeah, weird. So to so to me, it seems like it seemed like an art when an artist draws a singular piece of art, they sign it. That's how almost every artist does it. Sure. With, and so the reason the 28 signatures in this book makes it seem like Maria Lovett drew 28 distinct separate pieces of art and then they jangled them together into a, a comic or yeah. jigsawed them together into a comic. It's it's very strange. See now, and some of the pages in Faithless are signed as Arello and Lovett. So if you want to say like, oh, they did this together. I, I get that, whatever. But I mean, but I, why? But why? I've seen that too, though. I've seen that too in comics, and that's usually like at the end of a really yeah. important or momentous thing where it's like, yeah, yeah, we did it. I don't get it. Yeah, no, I don't know. Let's resume the nonstop murder portion of the show. It's X Men 25 from Marvel Comics. It's written by Jerry Duggan with art by Stefano Caselli. Thessaly didn't actually have any on-panel murders. Yeah, I guess not. It did not. It did not. Art here is by Stefano Caselli. Colors by Marte Gracia. Letters by VCs Clayton Cowles with a cover by Joshua Casara. It's 56 pages for $5.99. It is a beefy boy. A couple more Here's murders. Your- I may have given it a skim it. Who knows? <laughs> fair here's your solicit the fall she's been known as kitty sprite ariel red queen and captain kate now as a new x-men team finds their way through their darkest hour shadow cat emerges spilling it with a k now they can't trick me it didn't used to be spelled with a k no. right no it used to be spelled with a c no it was never right. with a k Fall of X is in full swing now as the reality of the X-Men's new status quo starts to come into focus. Jerry Duggan makes the most out of the issue's extra pages by answering a lot, but not all, of the questions lingering after the Hellfire Gala massacre. What's up with Ms. Marvel and her very public death? What's the deal with Kitty's new ninja persona? What happened after she fell through that gate at the end of the Hellfire Gala one-shot? Where is Cyclops? Are all of the other mutants really dead? All of these questions are answered for the most part, even if that answer is just wait and see. That's not an answer. <laughs> it is an answer. That's a it statement. means like I No, it means it, it means an, an answer is answer. yes. An answer is no. An answer is not answers just answers are see. statements though as well. <laughs> I guess. Duggan puts most of the focus on Kate, and we get some pretty great emotional moments throughout the issue. Duggan even makes me feel just a little bit better about Ms. Marvel getting bogged down with all of this nonsense. And I liked the use of the indeterminate X weeks ago slash later to establish that some time has passed without having to worry about specifics. Stefano Caselli has been one of my favorite Marvel artists for a long time now. He does not disappoint here. The art is full of exciting detail and emotion and Marty Gracia's color palette has shifted to meet the darker tone of the story. I really kind of hated the Hellfire Gala one shot, even if I thought that the violent change in direction was a bold and exciting choice. I'm looking forward to seeing more of Shadowcat's journey through this new mutant landscape. I'm giving this issue a buy it. I 
thought it was great. Yeah, I was done with the pirate kitty. I was just done with it. It got more and more ridiculous. It was fun. It like, was I thought fun it was fun for a minute, but, but like after she started wearing frilly sleeves and stuff, I'm like, oh, come on. It don't make no more sense no more. It's getting ridiculous. But yeah, yeah, it doesn't make any sense anymore. This does make sense. We forget. Yeah, Kitty was a ninja. Kitty was trained by Wolverine. Kitty was really good with the sword. There's by a whole, Ogun. She was trained oh, by true. Ogun. There's a whole mini series all about it. Go check it out if you don't believe it. But I like seeing her as a badass or developing a really cool sort of mystery behind the whole doors thing. And yeah, I feel better about Miss Marvel being there. They do a thing where they set it out. Like, here's your way out. Go. And a choice is made, you know? Right. And I really like that. It gives her agency. You know, it's not just like, I'm hanging with the X-Men now, you know, like, no. It, yeah, it, it addresses the fact that she has no business being. Yes. And it was good. It was well done. I'm giving this a buy it. I think the X-Men are in a very interesting place right now. With that in mind, there's like four one shots coming out in the next two weeks. We'll see if they have anything to do with anything. So oh, one of them came out today and we just like completely either ignored it or didn't know it came out. Now, Children I, of the Vault number one came out today. I knew it came out. There was, we were just talking about so much X stuff that I skipped it. I know. I know. But like this issue, this issue sets up like, oh shit, this is what happens now that all the X-Men are screwed. Yeah. It's like, oh no. Forge realized there's nobody babysitting the vault. Oops. Children of the Vault one shot. You know what I don't care you about? Know. Children of the Children Vault. Children of the Vault. <laughs> yeah, no, I get it. New Comic Book Wednesday, August 9th. Our first book of this week. It's a long one. It goes to Dwellings. Number one. It's from Oni Press. It was 72 pages for $8.99. It's written and illustrated by Jay Stevens. Here is your solicit. Shock! Terror! Fun! Saturday morning meets The Stroke of Midnight in an all-new bi-monthly limited series presented in prestige 72-page format. Chapters with two complete tales in each issue. All in caps. Welcome to Elwich, an oasis of American perfection, where the schools overflow with cherry-eyed children. Lovingly adorned homes line the historic boulevards, and only the crows can see the deep, festering rot that lurks beneath the pristine surface. Murder, demonology, possession, obsession. Elwich has them all on offer, and behind every dwelling awaits a horrifying new story to be told. I love Steven's classic cartoon style. It's great. And his use of washed out colors and zip makes the book look like classic hot stuff or Wendy the Good Witch comics of the 60s. It's wonderful. The look is perfect. And it really throws the reader off when the murdering starts. Now, unfortunately, both stories ran way longer than they needed to. And while the plots were interesting and creepy, there wasn't quite enough in either of them to keep me invested. Three issues of this is probably going to be too much for most people. It's not that the stories are too scary or gory. The art style actually really brings the cute to the gore. So (laughs) it's just cartoonish enough to be ridiculous. I was just hoping for a little more humor to go with this. Maybe it's my fault for expecting a dark comedy, but both stories are basically straight ahead horror stories in a weird small town. The look and the design are perfect. I was just hoping for more fun and reading that solicit sure makes it sound like this is going to be a black comedy. Instead, I think it just needed an editor, quite honestly. Give it a skim it. You know, I liked it more than you, I think. 
And um, I do agree that the second story is not as successful. And also it kind of went on forever and ever and ever. The first story, though, I loved. I loved the first story. Um, it, it is so weird, the juxtaposition of Jay Stevens' like, super cutesy art and the horrific um, events happening yeah. in the actual comic. I thought that uh, the fact that they kept revisiting the same apartment building in both stories was a pretty neat kind of uh, device. You know, there's something very, very wrong happening specifically right here in this place. <laughs> and uh, I, I thought that the first story had a really nice twist. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was good. I'm still going to give it a skim it because it's, you know, it's a 72 page, $8 comic. And I thought half of it was great. And the other half kind of like, I was like, okay, is this done yet? You know? Yeah. So it, it's a skim it, but in general, I really had a fun time and I'm glad to see Jay Stevens. Uh, putting out comics again. I love that guy working. Don't get me wrong. And I like what he's doing here. The idea it's like these ridiculous, easy horror stories, but drawn with this super cartoonish look. That's great. But you know what was great about those easy horror stories? They were six to 10 pages long and there was four of them in the book. You know, I just think two really stretched out stories like this. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's essentially two comics, right? It's I, two full-size yeah, comics. It just kind of lost me. I, I wish they were a little tighter and a little shorter. And it, They could have been a little little tighter, yeah. 36 pages, two stories. Probably going to nail it. Just needs an editor. Matt, I want to apologize specifically to you because I chose a comic book this week that did not follow any of the established rules for murder, child murder, or etc. Yeah, just anything it's, getting murdered would have counted. Right? Not a single <laughs> not a single murder or even death in this comic. It's Mech Cadets number one. It's from Boom Studios. It's written by Greg Pack with art by Takeshi Miyazawa, colors by Ian Herring, letters by Simon Boland. It's 32 pages for $4.99. Here's your solicit. And I have a question right off the bat. Fans of the highly anticipated Netflix series won't want to miss this perfect companion series by highly acclaimed writer Greg Pak from Star Wars Darth Vader. Come on now, Greg Pak's written way more stuff than that. Superstar artist Takeshi Miyazawa from She-Hulk and Runaways, etc. Colorist Ian Herring from Spider-Man Deadpool. How can somebody be a fan of something that's not out yet? I don't no, unless there's yeah, okay. like this, this is somewhere else and we don't know about it. It is not. No, this it specifically says fans of the highly anticipated Netflix series. Right. That series does not come out. It's not out yet. General Park, head of Sky Corps Academy, must assemble a team of heroes to protect humankind from alien invasions. And Stanford U, Maya Sanchez, Frank Olivetti, and Park's own daughter Olivia may have been pulled into the role by fate as they are Earth's best hope. But there's more to their relationships with the symbiotic, sentient fighting robos that they pilot. And the alien threat of the Sharg is far more epic and widespread than any could imagine. First of all, the Sharg, terrible name for an alien. Terrible. Terrible. While Match Cadets makes a fresh debut for new readers and viewers, longtime fans can delight in having more adventures after the long-awaited collection of Mech Cadets Book One. So there you go. They, no, this existed it, somewhere else. 
it's I already knew that, but that sentence is referring to the Netflix series. Fair enough. Fans of this. That's what they're yeah. What feels like a million years ago, Greg Pak and Takeshi Miyazawa put out a 12-issue series called Mech Cadet U. I could have sworn it was the early-ish 2000s, but apparently it came out in 2017, which means we reviewed it on the show. Regardless, the adventures of Stanford Yu and his fellow cadets were popular enough that the series, renamed Mech Cadets, was optioned for a Netflix animated show and collected in a nice shiny compendium earlier this year. Now, for the first time since the first volume ended five years ago, Stan and his pals are back in a new series with a much broader focus on the larger ensemble cast. It's a pretty familiar idea, you know, youngish heroes piloting mechs of various sizes and abilities while defending Earth against an alien threat. But Pack adds a couple of elements that set this book apart. The first is that most of the mechs are more like Iron Man suits, except for the big kaiju-sized mother of all robos piloted by the general's own daughter. Second, there are also some compelling socio-political and emotional elements at play, as the team's commanders give them some very questionable orders. Long story short, Mech Cadets has a lot more than just giant robot action going for it, though it has plenty of that as well. The great Takeshi Miyazawa does a fantastic job keeping things lively during the talking head scenes, as well as both exciting and clear during the action scenes, which is hard because it's just a bunch of giant robots punching things in space. It could get muddy. But Miyazawa uses visual cues like picture balloons with the pilot's faces in them, and there's also some color-coded word balloons, courtesy of Simon Boland, that help with that as well. Mech Cadets number one is a great new reader-friendly reintroduction to the world established by Pack and Miyazawa five years ago, and it's a nice primer for the upcoming animated series. I'm giving this a buy it. It's fun. So I believe that the series is live now. And I, is it? Yeah, I'm looking at the trailer on Netflix. It's like a CG animated thing. The robots look different. Very different. And I think there's a lot about it that's I think different. it's a good thing personally, because like I got this sort of like Gundam for American kids kind of vibe from this. And the thing is like, it's kind of formulaic. It does the thing. There wasn't anything real new here. It's well written. It's got some good ideas, but the thing that kids love about Gundam worldwide is the Gundams are so damn cool, right? I don't think the design of these mechs is very cool at all. I think they're really plain and kind of boring looking. And I think when you take out that kick-ass design element of this kind of a formulaic kids driving max kind of story. It's fine. <laughs> you know, now it's like I said, well-written. I just wish the design of the mechs was better because they're kind of the star. They're what you're here for, right? I'm going to give this a buy it because I do think it's well-written. It's just lacking in design. It's lacking in design for me. And I agree, but I think what sets this book apart as far as the uh, familiar elements is that I don't remember watching, I'll grant you, I haven't watched a lot of it, but I don't remember watching any kids cartoons like this where the bosses demand that the team protect property instead of people. No, I mean, that's a twist they're putting on the social political that, twist. Sure. Or to abandon one of their own's brother. You know, like I, there's a lot of like really 
intense emotional and sociopolitical stuff going on here that I thought set the story apart. I, I will, I will agree that the design of the mechs is whatever. Yeah. It's whack. Now Gundam does all this stuff. This is definitely Gundam I don't know for American. I, kids, I don't know if so. I go so far as to say that it's whack. I mean, let's be respectful here. I think it's whack. Let's do this. It seems I can't get away from sexy lady comic books this week. Next up is Scarlet Couture Munich File, number one of five from Titan Comics. It's 32 pages of $3.99. It is written and illustrated by Des Taylor. Here is your solicit. The Covert Investigation Group's most deadly spy returns! Agent Scarlet Carver and her team embark on a thrilling game of cat and mouse as they are thrown into the high-stakes world of technological espionage. It soon transpires that the effects of Project Stardust reach further than anyone had anticipated. There are new threats emerging, and this time, it's personal. Each issue contains a digital token with special rewards, including the chance to meet creator Des Taylor in the metaverse. Where is that? Is that are they talking about Facebook? Facebook. Is that what they yeah. mean? Okay. Powered by yeah. MetaGallery.ltd. All right. This is some NFT sounding bullshit, and I, I am not here for it. I don't know. And I'm not sure if my digital preview copy came with a token to meet Dez in the metaverse, but I did really like the art here. Taylor has an animated style that reminded me of like Archer. There was even a spy character with black hair whose mom seems to be running the spy organization. This I'll issue, I'll give you that. This issue has a good amount of setup. And while I never read the first chapter, Taylor does a solid job introducing Scarlet and her crew to new readers. I was getting a very Charlie's Angels vibe, you know, sexy lady spies on a mission. But while they were gorgeous, there's certainly some cheesecake here. It's not egregious, and Scarlet proves to be a very deadly and capable heroine. She's also some kind of fashionista, but there may have been more of that in the first story. Scarlet Couture, The Munich File, is a great-looking comic that goes hard on action and spy intrigue, starring some very sexy but empowered ladies who aren't afraid to use their charm and good looks to stab a guy in the throat. I'm giving this a buy it. Okay, well, I didn't like this. <laughs> uh, you did review the first series. This uh, this came out. Did I? The, yeah, I remember talking about it on the show. Okay. Um, so the digital token thing is after the cover gallery. It, it is in the preview copy. I didn't try to scan it or anything, but it's in there. And uh, yeah, you know, all the things that you like about the art, I kind of hate. Panini, the company, the the publisher, the European publisher used to make when we were kids they used to make these um books that had um empty slots right and then they would sell packets of stickers okay and then you could peel the stickers and then plug them into the right place in the book and then you would fill up the book and you'd have a story but the stickers were just like screenshots of cartoons and that's what this felt like this just felt like screenshots of cartoons see I, okay and i mean I i'm not saying it's I'm not saying it isn't well executed, like the style that Des Taylor has chosen. I just don't care for it. The story itself is fine. It's it's a very wordy but competent spy thriller with some very cartoonish villains that announce uh, that they are hatching the biggest plot in the history of crime. I think that's a literal quote. 
And, you know, it's very Bondian in a cartoonish way. Definitely. You know, Archer, Archer is a good example, except it's not funny at all. It's not a comedy. No, it's very serious. This is a skimmit from me. I guess to say that I didn't like it might be overstating things, but I certainly didn't love it. And it's just not really my cup of tea. So, man, that Scarlet Couture that I reviewed came out in 2015. It's a long time ago. Wow. Yeah. It has been a while, Daz. Let's get on the phone to the Mad Mod and get some period clothing whipped up because we're going back in time. Yeah, but not we're that world. far back in time. <laughs> A million. We're going back 40, 50 years for World's Finest Teen Titans number two from DC Comics. It's not really 50 years. Yeah, they have It's written by Mark phones. Wade. I know. We'll, and I touch on that in the review. It's written by Mark Wade. It's got art by Emanuela Lupacino, colors by Jordi Belair, letters by Steve Wands. Big week for uh, Jordi Belair this week. She colored multiple books. Cover by Chris Somney, 32 pages for $3.99. Here is your solicit. Donna Troy joins the team. Welcome to Metropolis, Wonder Girl. Hoping to reconnect with her human roots, Donna Troy leaves Themyscira for the City of Tomorrow. There she meets Mal Duncan, a young man with the makings of a true hero. And just in time, too, the Titans will need all the help they can get as they investigate a cry for help that leads them to a haunted house that is not what it seems. Uh, I don't know if you remember, but when this book was announced and there was all this talk about like, yeah, the original Titans are, you know, the Bronze Age Teen Titans. Sure. And they had all your favorites and then Bumblebee, who was one of the later editions, but then not the guy that would become her husband in the modern day. Okay. And I, I mentioned something about how he wasn't there. That's this guy, Mal Duncan. That's the gotcha. guy. Gotcha. Okay. So the reason why he's not around is because he's not a superhero at this point, or he's not on the team. Fair. <clears throat> we missed the first issue of this series when it came out. So it was definitely worth discussing. Number two, this series occupies that same nebulous past setting that its parent title does, which allows Wade to tell year one ish. Tales of DC's premier teen team. The Titans are established enough here to have a social media team, a large fan base, and even auxiliary members, but they're still just kids navigating the awkward pitfalls of teenage existence, which makes them well-suited to tackle problems like, for example, a scared psychic girl accidentally manifesting her fears and insecurities into the real world. Now, Matt and I had a long discussion about how weird it is to see the silver and bronze age teen Titans with modern cell phones and talking about social media. And it is weird, but it's also the nature of the tricky shared universe sliding timeline. It's the thing that keeps a universe's own history from aging out of relevance. For example, that's why Reed Richards isn't a world war II veteran. You're welcome. Sliding timeline. If Superman and Batman hit the scene 10 to 15 years ago in comic book years, that means that Aqualad could have been a fan of the two-headed nerd comic cast with Joe and Matt circa our horny dad's heyday. That's right. <laughs> I did the, I crunched the numbers and did the math. There's no horny dads was the title of episode 58 from March of 2012. Joe and Matt were not horny dads in the heyday he is speaking of. Mindful macho. Put that in your comic, Wade. Wade's script shares the same timeless yet modernized quality he brings to World's Finest, and his take on the relationships between the Titans is spot on. 
Emanuela Lupacino's art is lovely for the most part, except for some moments here and there that feel rushed or unfinished. And the updated versions of the Titans' original costumes are a far cry better than what DC tried to give us during the New 52. I believe Chris Somney is responsible for those. I think so. The, the new ones, not the, yeah, not the bad ones. World's Finest Teen Titans number one and two offer a great read for fans of teenage superhero adventures and a special treat for old fans hoping to see some of DC's classic ideas restored during the dawn of DC. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, this is great. And this is coming from a guy that does not care about the Teen Titans. Never have. Every time you made me revisit it, like all they do is scream at each other and sleep with each other. And like, it's all drama. I can't handle it. Somehow when the X-Men do it, I find it charming. And when the Titans do it, I just want to slap them and go, what is wrong with you? (laughs) But this, they're fun. This Bumblebee character is like my new favorite Titan. She kicks Uh, so much ass because she just like calls everybody out for what they're doing in that moment. I even love this Donna Troy. She's a total spaz and I love her. She was fantastic. I'm giving this a buy. It's a great looking book. It makes the new teen tight or pardon me. It makes the teen Titans fun. And sure it updates a little bit and slides them forward. But if you think about this stuff too long, then everything blows up. You know, you can't do it. Welcome to comics folks. It's how it works. Bye. I also, I also did like how Wade, I appreciated how Wade committed to a single origin for Donna uh, her origin's been all over the place. Yep. It used to be like just this. Uh, she was created by a magic mirror. So she's a duplicate, a young duplicate of, of Diana, blah, blah, blah. And then there was the uh, orphan in a fire thing. And then there was the daughter of uh, the Amazons raised a new cr- It's a mess. Wade is like, no, she's a human girl, orphaned in a fire, raised on the mascara, done by a Yeah. Warner woman's adopted sister got powers. The end like the least confusing thing you could do doing her a favor so much for feel good comics it's time to talk about some tough guy comics i'm talking about ghost rider wolverine colon weapons of vengeance number one from marvel it's alpha number one. Oh, pardon but me. Not number, not number one alpha four because it's a crossover. Yeah, it's alpha number one. Yes, it's alpha number one. It's from Marvel. It is 36 pages for $4.99. This is written by Ben Percy with art by Jeffrey Shaw. Here's your solicit. Logan and Blaze, the weapons of vengeance. Logan's the best there is at what he does. And what he does as the deadly Wolverine isn't very nice. When innocent blood is spilled, Johnny Blaze becomes Ghost Rider, equipped to deal punishment with the power of Hellfire. A demonic serial killer is murdering innocent mutants. But what is it about this deadly new villain that forces our two heroes to team up? And what buried secret does he share with Wolverine and Ghost Riders? Not capitalized there, by the way. Never before seen very first meeting in the past. Get ready for claws, chains, and violence as only Benjamin Percy, who worked on Wolverine and Ghost Rider, and Jeff Shaw, who worked on Thanos, Guardians of the Galaxy, can bring in this four-part epic. So low energy at the beginning. I loved it. That was all I wanted to do. <laughs> like go from I get, really loud. Like to- the dichotomy was <laughs> very delicious. First thing to know, though you may see this book listed in your X checklist, Marvel prints in the back of all the X books. This story has nothing to do with Wolfie's current post Hellfire Gala status quo. 
The story runs through the next issue of Ghost Rider, number 17, and will be 36. And then, of course, it finishes with an Omega issue that I assume is Omega number two or maybe one. Who knows? I bet you it's Omega number one. I will make a nerd bet right now. It's Omega number one. Bet you're right. Is it good, though? Yeah. If you've been digging Ben Percy's Wolvie and Ghost Rider titles, you're going to feel right at home watching the two team up to hunt down a demon from their past. Percy's younger flashback Wolverine is a little intense when it comes to meeting a lady and a kid, but I suppose that checks (laughs) out. (laughs) Shaw is also the artist on crossover at image with writer Donnie Cates. He's very talented. That book looks amazing, but I think Mm -hmm. the colors here muddied some of the panels. I get it. It's a dark story. Takes place at night. Lots of black, but some of these panels got borderline messy and looked a little unfinished. I'm always on board for a good Wolvie and Ghost Rider team up, though. So while it's not pushing Wolvie's story forward, it does look like Weapons of Vengeance is going to be a dark, tough guy versus demon good time. Give this a buy it. Agreed. I thought it was I thought it was pretty great. Uh, I love Jeff Shaw as an artist in general. Um, you did not list a colorist, which makes me think that he colored his own work, which uh, no. that tracks because this looks a lot like there is a colorist. His, um, uh, his other more recent work. There, oh, Rain Bernardo. Yeah. There Rain, Ber- Rain Burrito is the colorist and yeah. VC's Travis Lanham. Your boy, Travis Lanham. You didn't even mention him. I forgot. He's all over the place. Yeah. Travis um, doesn't need me. He's famous so, now. I'm little people. You are. It's true. It does track with Shaw's recent work. And yeah, maybe it does. I'll tell you what. There are some panels in here, specifically the first few uh, Wolverine panels. Yeah. Where I thought it was like I was flashing back to 90s Ghost Rider by Mark Texiera. Like they looks legit like he stepped out of Mark Texiera. It's Ghost Rider. Yeah, but almost like a little just messy. Like Texiera when he's doing it was doing a thing like that's his style. And I don't know if Shaw's like toying with his style a little bit here. No, but I don't think it's messy. I thought it's some not, panels. It's not messy. Incredible. Incredible. And then others. I, went, I will. I will agree. Yeah, the colors are kind of dark. That doesn't look dim. But yes, I liked this a lot. Um, there, uh, I liked the f- kind of uh, flashback sequence that kind of ties the two together. I always like a shared history that we didn't really know about. Sure, you know? that's fun. I, I love that kind of thing. Yeah, but this was good. It's a buy it from me. Um, there are some books at Marvel that if you told me they were still being published, I would be like, really? One of them is the uh, Carnage ongoing series, and the other one is Ghost Rider. I could have sworn Ghost Rider got canceled ages ago. But I mean, no. it keeps still- restarting. It just restarted it's still, not too long ago. Still kicking along. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, this is a buy it. I liked it. Rounding out this week, I hope you can't get enough of that X-Men stuff because we got one more for you. It's Immortal X-Men number 14 from Marvel Comics. It's written by Kieran Gillen with art by Lucas Wernick. Colors by David Curiel and Eric Arseniega. Letters by VC's Clayton Cowles. He's two for two this week as well. Cover by Mark Brooks, 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. To me, my no one. Xavier had a dream, and now he has nothing. This is the fall of X. He fell. He fell furthest. He's still falling to the ground where he falls. They use the word fall a lot in that. That's where we all fall, right? I mean... Even though there's no such thing anymore, Immortal X-Men continues to focus on the members of the Quiet... Council of Krakoa. In this case, Shaw, Hope, Destiny, Exodus, and of course, Chuck Xavier. 
The traitorous Black King is cozying up to his new pal's Orcus. Exodus is being used to deliver an almost offensively heavy-handed Jewish metaphor by Kieran Gillen. And poor Charles is alone on Krakoa, spiraling into despair, while single-handedly, or single-mindedly, defending the island from Orcus shock troops. Single-mandedly is what I think. The single, he's single-mandedly yeah. and single-minded. He's by himself. He's so. <laughs> right, and also he uses his mind. It's yeah. kind of where yeah, yeah, I was yeah. going with that. There's a lot of moving parts in this issue, but Gillen puts the focus primarily on Xavier's grief and rage. It's a good story that has its legs taken out from under it by the Exodus scene. And I'm going to be honest with you, I'm kind of shocked I haven't already seen a ton of backlash against it online. I saw some, but not a bunch, but maybe it's coming. Lucas Wernick continues to do excellent work on the series and the colors by Curiel and Arseniega match the tone set by Marti Gracia, who I kind of consider the main Krakoa colorist. Marty has been there since the beginning. Fair. So. I think that's fair. Yeah. Not since the death of X, where Magneto made a comment about his people being quote unquote gassed to death by the Terrigen mist. Magneto is a Holocaust survivor. <laughs> Has Marvel hammered a metaphor home in such a cringe-inducing fashion? But along with X-Men 25, Immortal X-Men 14 continues to establish a compelling new status quo for Marvel's mutants. I'm giving this one a skim it because that that Exodus stuff took me out of it. I'm not even like I'm not especially like super duper offended, but I read it and I was like, oh my God, and it kind of I disconnected from the story. I don't know, man. Like to me, it's like, don't you think this is what he would do? He's a crazy person. Like th I think this is perfectly do you think in we should line. Just, should we just spoil it? No, I don't think so. I, I don't think no, we it's to. not. I, I, look, I think we can I'm, talk about it I'm without not, spoiling it. And I think this I'm is. I'm not, I'm not saying that Exodus's actions are out of line. Yes, of course. Exodus's whole modus operandi is to, Protect the savior of mutant kind. Yeah. Yada, yada, yada. However, the way Gillen has chosen to execute that is like such a ham fisted. I mean, like, I, I guess, but I see that this character Matt, being his doing name that. is his name I, is Exodus. And Matt. he chose his name, Joe. That's the book, Matt. I get it. He chose his name because he thinks it's it. So you put him in this position and what is he going to do? He's going to go, oh my God. Again, it's not Exodus. It's all happening. It's I'm not here. Exodus's actions. It's the setup. It's the execution. I understand, but like they may as well have had Exodus screaming during the Hellfire Gala to Orcus. Okay, let my people go. This is what Exodus would do. I didn't have a big problem with it. I really don't. again. I'm not arguing about his actions. I'm arguing about the setup and the execution. I don't have a problem with it. The thing Tell I the had story. a problem was when you put Destiny in this outfit with pointy hair like that. I can't look at her and not see Lilandra. Of the Shire, okay? You gotta it, well, think. Well, <laughs> it's, her, it's her gala gown. I know. She took it off. Weak outfit. Yeah. Totally weak outfit again. I'm giving this a buy it. I thought this book looks amazing. Wernick. Lucas Wernick, very good. So friggin' good. And again, we get to see like what's going on with Chuck. He's in a very bad place. I really like what's going on with the X-Men right now. I didn't have the same problem you had. Is it a little on the nose? Sure. But it it's makes sense.
You can find links in our show notes for more details on these comics, but now it's time to pick the one issue that had just enough murder of kids or adults for us to name it the best. Which one of these comics are you putting in the THN Permanent Collection Map Bomb, You Diseased Me? This is tough this week. You, I mean, you go first. This is tough. I'm still looking at it. And That's I, not how the script is written, you I ninny. No, you go first. I'm having a tough time. You asshole. You knew damn well that I wasn't ready for this. I know. I bet I'm ready uh, every week. And guess what? This week, I'm not. You know what? I am. It's the Sacrificers. I think the Sacrificers was the best oh, thing duh, that yeah, I read. It is the Sacrificers. It, yes. it, it was the most beautiful thing I read. The world is wide open. It's Again, these two guys, Reminder and Fiamura, just never stop working together. That's all I ask. You guys are amazing. <laughs> you know? I'm giving it to the Sacrificers. Totally agree. It's the Sacrificers for me as well. And I knew that already. It's just that sometimes I need to be reminded of all the things we already talked about because we talk about so much shit on the show. Well, and I started thinking about Fire and Ice because the art was so good, but it really is Manko like doing it's, Frazetta. And while that's impressive, it's very impressive. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, he's good at it. it yeah. But uh, it, to me, the Sacrificers was the whole package. It was the st- it was the story and the art. Fire and Ice certainly very pretty, but yeah, the Sacrificers. Hmm, can't wait for and more. fire and ice look they're doing a thing based on something else they're, and it's good they added that more doesn't to it. matter if it's your favorite it's your favorite no, true but. but i'm just saying i'm giving a little more credit to the guys that came up with their own brand new thing with our reviews behind us now it is time to dawn the cursed Shire looking headdress of Destiny's uh, Hellfire Gala Massacre outfit and peer into the future of next week to make our must read picks in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum. Joe Patrick, what will you be reading next new comic book Wednesday, August 16th? 16th. I had it. Come on. I'm good at this. I, well, I can do math. Hey, now, you're not that good at it. <laughs> I can do math. Okay. <laughs> My pick for next week is The Cull, number one from Image Comics. It's written by Kelly Thompson with art by Mattia de Ilus. Ulis? Sorry, Mattia. We do this every time. I think it's, it's 32 pages for $3.99. L U L I S. Delulis. But it's not. That's not an L. Oh, it's, it's an, an I. I. D E I U L I S. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. I'll take it back. You're on your own. Yeah. Here's your solicit miniseries premiere. Thank, Thank you, image. you, image. Winning writer Kelly Thompson from Black Cloak and superstar artist Mattia D.I. from Captain America team up for their first creator-owned work together. Something is killing the children. Horror vibes mixed with the Goonies style adventure as five friends set off to shoot a short film on a forbidden rock near their home the summer before they all go their separate ways. But that's not really why they're there. One of them has lied, and that lie will change their lives forever. You had me at something is killing the children, plus the Goonies. Two things that I absolutely adore. Kelly Thompson is great. I'm a huge fan of her work. Black Cloak is tremendous. Mattia de Iulis, however you pronounce her name, is a wonderful artist. Very much looking forward to The Call, number one. I would totally read Something is Killing the Goonies, by the way. Just throwing that out there. So- oh, man. Something is <laughs> killing the Goonies. Holy My pick cow. for next week is Uncanny Avengers, number one. It's a light week, folks, so I'm doing what I can, all right? From Marvel, it's 36 pages for four ninety nine. It's written by Jerry Duggan with art by Javier Garon. Here is your solicit. The 
the fall of X calls for the return of the Avengers Unity Squad. Innocent people and the world leaders are dead after simultaneous attacks on the U.S. and Krakoan governments. And that means one thing. It's time for a new squad of Avengers. False flag attacks meant to whip up anti-mutant hysteria are unfolding. And hey, some of Steve Rogers' best friends are mutants. Steve Rogers had sex with too many mutants to be a racist. <laughs> Your new unity squad is Captain America, Rogue, Deadpool, Quicksilver, Psylocke, and Monet. They must resolve the mystery of who the new murderous Captain Krakoa is and stop his team of killers from igniting the fires of a new world. Plus, a bonus page. Cyclops. <laughs> yeah. Plus, That's for dang sure. a bonus page written by Jonathan Hickman. Who are the G period O period D period S period question mark? Is this uh, like how we got a bonus page in the Hellfire? Yes. <laughs> yes. Now, if you just go to some of these like, you know, new comic sites where they're like, here's what's coming out next week. It's like Uncanny Avengers by Hickman. And I went, no, it isn't. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, hold but- on there. <laughs> no. Okay. Look. I was a little down on this idea at first, but after reading the Hellfire Gala, yes, it makes perfect sense. A cap would be like, no, this is BS. I am not putting up with this and I will put my reputation on the line. Here's my team of me and mutants. We're going to go do good stuff and help the X-Men out of this. This is not right. I like Jerry Duggan. I love Javier Garon and I love Monet. I love Monet when she's doing the penance thing. <laughs> I love it. I don't know why they're not just calling her penance. Cause I she's not penance. She's Monet. She got rid of that. She's not paying penance anymore. She's over that. Look, I'm telling you right now, Monet is a dumb code name for a red girl with razor sharp skin. Monet is a okay. dumb code name and she should just be M. I'm fine with M. Call her M. That's what she was. I'm fine I mean, her, yeah, her code name was M. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I got no problems with the Unity Squad. I think, like, Uncanny Avengers as an idea is It's fine. fun, like, yeah. Rick, Rick Remender wrote the first volume. It was good. It was really you know? good. And I even liked and Rogue And then, being you there. know, later on, they were like, yeah, let's put Deadpool in there. And so, yeah, it got bad, but... Yeah. <laughs> the THN trade of the week for August 16th is In Search of Gil Scott Heron. It's a hardcover from Titan Comics. It's written by Thomas Mousseri, with art by Seb Piquet. P- Both of those dudes Piquet. is French. Piquet. It's 232 pages for $29.99. Here's your solicit. Celebrating the 50th anniversary of hip-hop, discover the godfather of rap. Singer, poet, and writer, considered to be the godfather of rap, Gil Scott Heron is a myth and a legend in the Afro-American music scene. Through his personal experiences... Thomas Mosseri discovers the life of this genius alongside the complex past and present of the America that Scott Heron lived in. Matt and I are big fans of old school hip hop around these parts. Okay, hold, hold on, son, before you out yourself. Gil Scott Heron is not old school hip hop. I understand, all. but he is the godfather <laughs> of hip hop, the godfather but of rap. I know who Gil Scott Heron is. They're just saying it. like he's a guy that would like do like sort of word poetry stuff. Over I know. Music. Matt, okay. I know who Gil Scott Heron is. Thank you so what, much. What's your favorite Gil Scott Heron track? I'm just curious. I know who he is. Okay. Matt. <laughs> we are big fans of of old school hip hop and Gil Scott Heron is a part of that culture, that history. Uh, he certainly was not a rapper, but that's true. But he was the inspiration for a generation of artists uh, that would form the foundation of what we know now to be hip hop 
This looks amazing. And to be perfectly fair, I mean, the revolution will not be televised is considered the first rap song, more or less. Oh, there you go. I mean, yeah. by, I mean really, it's considered. more of a spoken word. Like you said, a spoken word, almost like poem, but. What are you nerds reading next week? Let us know over at our Discord and be sure to put these comics on your pull list if you want to read along with us. Close the curtain on this episode. We wanted to give you a taste of the incredible content you get access to when you support THN on Patreon for as little as one dollar per month, ladies and gentlemen. It's toast time. Ho there, and welcome to a mini Swords and Scrolls little uh, check-in for those of you who. Are unfamiliar. Um, I am Wooly Toots, and I love sword and sorcery and fantasy comics. And I'm here today to talk to you a little bit about the new Conan book that's coming out from Heroic Signatures and Titan Comics. Our creative team on the new book is writer Jim Zub. Pencils are by Roberto De La Torre. Inks by Roberto as well. Colors are Jose Villarubia, and the letters are by Richard Starkings. Now, the interesting thing is, is Jose and Richard were both on Conan over at Dark Horse, and they did a great job over there. I'm very excited to see them remain with the character. And now let's uh, take a look at our other two creators who are kind of in charge of this. Jim Zub kind of the fantasy go-to writer, actually, in comics, in, in, in one way of looking at it. This is his third go at Conan. His first uh, writing Conan was with Gail Simone uh, back at Dark Horse, when uh, Dark Horse did a um, crossover with Dynamite. Uh, Red Sonja and Conan team up. It was the first time those two characters had teamed up in 16 years. I was drawn by Dan Panosian, and it's a pretty fun story. And then the next time he gets a swing at it, it's when Marvel gets Conan back, and they are going to do uh, this Avengers story, um, No Road Home. And Jim Zub wrote that alongside Mark Wade and Al Ewing, and Zub wrote the Conan parts, and right away you can see that this Conan is Marvel's Conan, which is not to say, you know, it's not a bad thing, but, you know, Marvel's take on the character is uh, a little bit different than, I should say, the source material, just in feel and tone. Nothing wrong with that. I grew up loving it, still love it. Then Jim gets his chance to write the character solo for the first time. And that's for a savage sort of Conan. This time, not a black and white magazine, but a four color, regular size comic book. He writes a three issue story called the gambler. We then 
pick up with Conan, uh, the, the Serpent War is a four-issue series that Jim writes that introduces five of Robert E. Howard's other characters, even introducing Dark Agnes, who got uh, a couple issues. Uh, Becky Cloonan was going to write a series, but it only made it into two issues before Pandemic killed that book. But it also includes Moon Knight paving the way for Conan to make it into the uh, Marvel Comics universe in Savage Avenger. But back to Zub. Zub then finds out that Jason Aaron is no longer going to write the flagship title. He's going to do a King Conan story. So the flagship title gets handed over to Jim Zub. Jim Zub's Conan at Marvel was a perfectly fine Marvel Conan comic. Can't say that I loved it, but my love for the character knows no bounds. I mean, we've all got characters like that, right? But the pandemic kills the sales on Conan, and Marvel decides it's no longer going to continue with that book. So, Heroic Signatures is like shopping it around. And they decide they're going to publish it through Titan. I've listened to Jim Zub talk about where he's going to go with this book. And I respect that the guy is very familiar with the stories, the Howard stories. He's familiar with uh, a lot of all the comics as well. He has great love for the character. In interviews, he said he's not going to uh, you know, adapt any of the Howard stuff. He's more interested in filling in the gaps between those and it seems like he's starting that right away. Excelsior! Oh. That is it for THN 712. Next week, we got a treat for you. It's still a back issue show, but Slack Issues is going to jump in here as a regular show every once in a while because we're having too much fun doing it. And Joe Patrick and I are breaking down the first four issues of the original Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and the Raphael micro series one shot. Joe Patrick never read that crap. Can you believe it? If you, I can't. If you need more THN in the meantime, join us over at the THN Cover to Cover Gang Hang. We do it every other Saturday at 11 o'clock Central. You can check out our Discord for more details. Joe Patrick, what else can these nerds do over at our Discord? You can get in on the action before we even air the show. We've got episode discussion threads each week for just that purpose. Or maybe you want to answer the question of the week. This week's question was inspired by our recent love fest celebrating the toy franchises of our misspent youths. What are your favorite lesser-known toy lines that had cartoons, comics, or both? The big four, we're talking G.I. Joe, Transformers, TMNT, and Masters of the Universe, are off the table, off limits. We've already got some really great Discussions going on in that thread. Oh, yeah, a lot man. of fun nostalgia. Uh, uh, Starry. I forgot about that shit. <laughs> Starry. I never got into that. Uh, please hit the main question of the week channel for question suggestions. We need them. We've been making up our own questions for too long now, and 
our creative juices are frankly running very, very low. You can sign up for our Discord with the link at twoheadednerd.com slash Discord, where we've got channels set up for all of our segments. Or you can send an MP3 of your question to twoheadednerd at gmail.com and we'll put it in the show. You know what? Send us your MP3 of anything. A, a reaction to one of the reviews. Anything you want to talk about from one of the shows. We'd love to hear it. Or something that like we didn't talk about, you wish we did. I'm thinking about putting together some type of listener mail show, but I'm going to need to build some stuff up. So send me your MP3s. Let's do this. If you're new to this show and you're shocked by the amount of murder in all the comics we read, you're thinking about murdering us. I assure you, it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at TwoHeadedNerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our patron and the ridiculously talented Transformers artist, Mr. Jim Stafford. Now, I bought a print from Jim Stafford. It's beautiful. Soundwave, all his cassettes. It's rad. Jim says, Matt, I appreciate you buying that. Let me do you a sketch of your favorite Transformer. I said, Jim, I love me some Ultra Magnus. Give me an Ultra Magnus sketch. He does not do an Ultra Magnus sketch. He does a full-bodied, full-color Ultra Magnus, like a whole second print, and it is so badass. This friggin' guy. And for some reason, he pays for this show. If you like what you hear every week, it's easy to support us. Like badass Transformers artist Jim Stafford might not be as talented after you pay us for it, but you know, you get what I'm saying. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to our first and longest running supporter. Well, you know, tied with Keith Binder anyway. It's Legend Comics and Coffee. It's been a wild couple of years since Legend was unceremoniously evicted with little to no notice from their Eisner award-winning location and forced to find a temporary spot. But Dave, Wendy, Jason, Champ, and the rest of the crew are finally setting up their brand new home in Omaha's historic Benson neighborhood. And to make things feel more real, a beautiful, gorgeous, brand new, big sign went up on the building this week. I'm so excited. Word to my entire Legend Comics and Coffee family. Love you guys. There wouldn't be a show without you. Until next time, True Relievers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just murder your children. And then you, this is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Or your retailer might have your children murder you. There's all sorts of twists on on Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, that's true. You know, anything can happen. Yeah.